The views in this do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Good afternoon, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. It's Wednesday, November 18th, and on behalf of the EOT team here at WKNC, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I'm Ian Grice. And I'm Mirtha Donisdorg, bringing you Eye on the Triangle at a new time on a new day. For all you listening to us for the first time, Eye on the Triangle is WKNC's weekly public affairs programming with news, interviews, opinion, weather, sports, arts, music, events, and issues in general that matter to NCSU, Raleigh, and the Triangle. This week, Nick Weaver brings you the Modest Mouth Review. He reviews the album Grey Tickles Black Pressure by John Grant. And Jake Winters brings you Snowverated. This week, he reviews the 1988 film Baywood, based on a true story. Saif Hassan has the news beyond the headlines, where he will give an update on what we know about the terrorist attacks in France and the response. He also talks about the recent strike on ISIS in Libya by U.S. forces, which killed Abu Nabil, senior ISIS leader. As always, Peter Svizini has the community calendar. In the Poetry Corner, Nikita Chandalupani brings us the first of a two-part series with author, translator, and poet John Balaban. He reads two poems and discusses his career and his poetry. I'm Saif Hassan, and this is your News Beyond the Headlines. France is committed to destroying ISIS after the attacks on Friday, according to President Hollande. He said he would table a bill to extend the state of emergency declared after the attacks for three months and would suggest changes to the Constitution. France's military campaign against the Islamic State in Iraq and Syria will also intensify. ISIS says it carried out the attacks on bars, restaurants, a concert hall, and a stadium in which 129 people died. Speaking during a joint session of both Houses of Parliament, Mr. Hollande said the Constitution needed to be amended as we need an appropriate tool we can use without having to resort to the state of emergency. Other measures he would like to pursue included 5,000 extra police posts in the next two years and no new cuts in the defense budget, making it easier to strip dual nationals of their French citizenship if they are convicted of a terrorist offense as long as this did not render them stateless, speeding up the deportation of foreigners who pose a particularly grave threat to the security of France, and pushing for greater European action against arms trafficking and greater penalties for arms trafficking in France. The president said he would also travel to meet the United States President Barack Obama and Russian President Vladimir Putin in the coming days to discuss action against ISIS. At a G20 summit in Turkey, world leaders promised tighter cooperation in the wake of the attacks. Mr. Obama said the U.S. and France had made a new agreement on intelligence sharing, but said U.S. military advisors thought sending ground troops to combat ISIS would be a mistake. He reiterated his opposition to Syrian President Bashar al-Assad remaining in power, but said, Our enemy in Syria is ISIS. He promised more resources for the security forces and said the Charles de Gaulle aircraft carrier would be sent on Thursday to bolster the military campaign against the Islamic State. On Sunday night, France bombed Raqqa, ISIS's stronghold in Syria. France said 10 jets had dropped 20 guided bombs targeting sites including a command center, a recruitment center for jihadists, a munitions depot, and a training camp. ISIS has issued a statement saying the raid targeted empty locations and there were no casualties. 
A U.S. airstrike has targeted the leader of the Islamic State group in Libya and probably killed him, according to the Pentagon. Iraqi national Abu Nabil was a longtime al-Qaeda operative who now holds leadership in ISIS, it said. The strike took place on Friday and targeted a compound in Derna. The Pentagon said the strike showed that it would go after ISIS leaders wherever they operate. News agencies have quoted U.S. officials saying they are confident Nabil was killed. Pentagon Pentagon spokesperson Peter Cook said the operation had actually been authorized before the terrorist attacks in Paris on Friday. Cook added that Nabil may have been the ISIS spokesperson pictured in a February 2015 video showing the apparent murder of Christians in Libya. Libya remains in chaos four years after the overthrow of Muammar Gaddafi and is being fought over by a number of groups, including ISIS. They have launched high-profile attacks in the mostly lawless North African country and gained a foothold in the key towns and cities, including Sirte. The strike on Nabil was the first against an ISIS leader in Libya, the Pentagon said. I'm Saif Hassan, and this has been your News Beyond the Headlines. Hello and welcome once again to the Modest Mouth Review with me, Nick Weaver of Eye on the Triangle. Today I'll be reviewing the utterly bizarre and perhaps brilliant album Grey Tickles Black Pressure by John Grant. If you didn't catch that, don't worry, I'll say it again at the end. Today I won't mess around with trivia because A, I know nothing about John Grant, and B, I think I'd prefer that I only know as much as I do from this album cover and his songs. And oh, what an album cover it is. I know you can't see it, but the front is John Grant, dressed similar to Mr. Rogers, with glowing white eyes surrounded by purple, and he's standing next to these two weird black pupilless owl statues against some sort of flowery wallpaper. The back is a picture of a dirty baby duck next to an even dirtier toy duck sitting in a toy plastic bath filled with cotton. I won't say it's not gimmicky, but I also won't say it's not brilliant. So with that out of the way, we move on to my least favorite part of the review, trying fruitlessly to fit this stupid thing into a single genre. You know what? No, I refuse to feel like it's my fault. Genres are pointlessly confusing and vague and not near expansive enough. What do I even call this? It's like 30 subgenres and they don't even fall into the same overall genre, which, to begin with, isn't a standard system. We need a clearly defined and regulated system of subgenres and genres so I can stop going to Wikipedia and groaning because they're totally wrong about the genre. It's 2015, people. It's time for positive change. At any rate, this album has elements of indie, pop, and electronica, but I'd say it's mainly gorillas-esque hip-hop and prog rock fighting against each other for overall dominance from track to track, which I will now deem prog hop. The station's probably still going to chuck the CD into the daytime rock section, though. Now, with that out of the way, the music on this album is something else. Imagine the gorillas, Beck, and Pink Floyd all had a baby together, and this was the result. Having some difficulty? Good! Then now you know how difficult it is coming up with a genre for this crap. From the album cover alone, we know that this is going to be an odd album, maybe somewhat gimmicky in that regard. I'll say that it seems pretty clear that Grant wants this album to seem strange, maybe a little creepy, but I don't get that vibe from most of these songs. Some of them are definitely a little off-putting, don't get me wrong. The intro is demonic Gaelic nonsense layered over some form of poetry about love, for God's sake. It's just that most of the lyrics are fairly comedic, if dark. The latter half of this album loses that sense of comedy and divulges into emotional exploration, but there's never really that spine-tingling sense of creepiness that I think the album art and intro are trying to convey. So maybe it's a little cliched in that regard. But overall, this is a really solid album. The more I listen to it, the more I really appreciate the work that must have got into it. A clear strength of the album is the witty, dark, utterly bizarre, sometimes comedic, but overall emotional lyrics. 
From hilarious proclamation that the listener and Hitler should hook up in the song You and Him to the mysterious story and colorful imagery of Magma Arrives, the lyrics never fail to flow together perfectly. They never lose that brilliant strangeness, and they're always incredibly varied and clever. Coupled with this is brilliant songwriting and instrumentation. The string section in the background throughout most of the album is gorgeous and brilliantly utilized. No song on this album sounds barren or repetitive, except maybe Down There, which I was least impressed by. And every song is incredibly atmospheric. Magma Arrives actually sounds like bubbling magma. It's brilliant. The rhythm and the beat are both really different sounding and impressively complex. All of this comes together perfectly to create some really, really intricate stuff. Highly scientific terminology there. The guest artists on this album are great too. Amanda Palmer more so than Tracy Thorne, but welcome additions nonetheless. Their parts are both well orchestrated and both contribute positively to the songs as a whole. What's really interesting about this album too is that while it's got that kind of gimmicky, kind of brilliant strangeness to it, while it's humorous and fun, it's still deep and emotional and seems to be an exploration of the darkness of the human soul beneath our outer shells. Or at least that's what I got out of it. Y'all can take what you want, let me have this. Still, whatever the message is, it's passionately delivered and at times chilling. The songs may occasionally be monumentally different, but they're all tied together by the overall spirit and personality of the album, and I don't use either of those words lightly. This album has a soul of its own, and that is no easy task to pull off. So what can be said overall? This album is dark, funny, and widely varied. At times it defies description. What's important is that it has a life of its own, and it draws you in with its brilliant lyrics, instrumentation, and delivery. I highly recommend it. On a scale of negative 2 to 7, I give this album a 5.5. Is it perfect? No. It lags behind at times, and if it's not your type of music, you'll definitely have a hard time getting into it. Certainly, the songs can go on almost to the point of overseeing their welcome. But overall, it's a solid, enjoyable, and brilliantly put-together album. Oh, I almost forgot to add, it's kind of experimental as well. So yeah, go freaking listen to it. Once again, the name of the album is Grey Tickles, Black Pressure by John Grant. As for me, I've been Nick, though I'm also known as Lens, Flesk, Meerkat, or just that dude who can't dress himself properly in public. I'm less fond of that last one. As a reminder, you can send in review requests by emailing publicaffairs at wknc.org and including the words review requests in the subject line. I'll try to get around to it as quickly as possible. That's all for today. Thanks again for listening in, and I'll speak to you all again next time. Hello, this is Jake Winters for Eye on the Triangle with Snowverated, and this week I will be taking a look at the 1988 film They Live. They Live was directed by John Carpenter, who is known for his science fiction films. They Live takes place in a dystopian future and follows the story of a man looking for work in a new city. This movie is based on the short story that goes by the name of 8 o'clock in the morning. The short story is very similar to the movie, and I feel it is a well-done adaptation. They Live is an action movie, and it has all the staples of one. It's overdramatic, it has that unnecessary love interest, and of course the long, drawn-out fight scenes. There is one particular fight scene between Nada, the main character, and his friend, and it seems that it will go on forever. They are continuously being thrown down, only to get back up while the other has their back turned, and then continue the fight. It's ridiculous. The idea of this short story and the movie is outlandish in nature. But the concept is really fun to toy around with. The concept is this. Aliens control the world, and they have been doing so for some time. They live among us, as giant lizards in a disguise as men, and control the humans using subliminal messaging. So, 
I just gave away basically the whole plot, and the fact that I could do that in one sentence goes to show how basic it is. And just because the plot is basic, though, does not mean that the movie cannot be entertaining. They Live is hilariously violent. Nada kills so many aliens in the film, it's hard to count them all. The reason it is hilarious is because of how nonchalantly it seems that he does it at times. The aliens don't really know that he knows what they are, and he just kind of kills them. While he does realize they are suppressing the humans and he becomes frightened, he is essentially just giving himself away for what he knows. It is like watching a person in a horror movie walk into a dark alleyway, even when you know they're just going to end up getting killed. I can't say I didn't enjoy this movie, though. The ideas are fresh, although they are the working of a conspiracy-driven madman, and they are a fun distraction, which makes the movie entertaining. After seeing the movie, it is easy to see how its ideas could also be applied to our own lives, even though they seem extremely distant from anything remotely close to how we live. If you think about the essence of many of the advertisements on television or ads in magazines, they all try to get you to buy something, and they all use some level of subliminal messaging. There have been uses of very simple advertising in the past that is sort of reminiscent of this movie in a way. Like Obama's campaign slogan, Hope. It's just one word. So how could it be a complete slogan for an entire campaign? Well, it summarizes his message in one word, and it does get his point across. It relates Obama and hope directly, making you feel like Obama is a physical representation of hope. Now, I'm not saying I believe this, but that's just one way you could interpret what the movie is trying to say in the real world. Another kind of ridiculous example is the clothes brand Obey. It's sort of supposed to be ironic that the people who wear Obey are the people who will obey things the least. In the movie, the ads are shown to have subliminal messaging behind them with simple words like enjoy and obey. And my personal favorite one is work eight hours, play eight hours, sleep eight hours. Like the aliens have somehow determined what we do every day. These messages are everywhere in the film once Nod is able to see them. And it obviously bothers him because who wouldn't it bother? I really like this concept. It kind of shows how much ads and other things can really control you without you knowing it, albeit in a very abstract way. The main character, Nada, is played by Roddy Piper, a famous WWE wrestler from the 80s. He is just the person for the role, too. Roddy Piper is a big guy, and he fits that stereotypical hero picture perfectly. He's like a real-life G.I. Joe. The only thing is that his acting is slightly off, but that's okay since this isn't really a drama-driven story. The movie has become a cult classic to many. People reference it from time to time, and some artists even still utilize its ideals in their work. It was not very successful when it was released, though, as with many cult classics, and so many have never heard of this film before, and that's the reason I'm talking about it. I hope people go out and watch it, because I think it's great. If I take a look at the movie as a whole, I'd really just say it's decent, though. It doesn't have great acting, and its story is just one idea dragged out through an hour and 30 minutes. The redeeming quality of the film is that it has a lot of action, albeit ridiculous action, but it is amusing to watch. If you feel like watching something that isn't too serious, but still has good ideas in it, then They Live is the movie for you. They Live does what all movies really should by providing some sort of message, but I feel like the sort of story that it was based on should have kept the movie short as well. You can rent They Live on Amazon or iTunes, and if you are looking for something to watch, I'd say it would be a pretty good choice. So before I go, I just wanted to draw your attention to an event that's happening on campus this week. This Thursday is the finale of the Campus Movie Fest. It is held at the Campus Cinema in Witherspoon, and the doors open at 7.30, and the show begins at 8 p.m. The show consists of movies made by students here at NC State, 
and it'd be awesome if you came out and showed them support. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Snowverated. I am Jake Winters for Eye on the Triangle. Have a good night. Good evening to you listeners out there. My name is Peter Swazeni, and I'll be giving you this week's community calendar, an Eye on the Triangle segment informing you of cool events going on campus. So this week's installment of the community calendar is chock full of global issue seminars, world philosophy lectures, religion and photography seminars as well, and plenty more this week. So just stay tuned. So this Wednesday morning marks the Passport Fair. This will be held in Witherspoon Student Center, room 126, from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. You can join them for the 12th annual NC State Passport Fair to get a new passport or renew an existing document. Representatives from the Department of State will be there on site to process your passport, and passport photos will also be available for a small fee. If you plan to study abroad or travel internationally, this fair is a great opportunity to get your passport application submitted conveniently on campus in just one stop. The passport fair is open to the public, so bring your friends and family. Processing time is typically two to three weeks. So this event will be in Witherspoon Student Center, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., room 126. So later on that afternoon will be an event called International Tea and Coffee. From 2 to 4 in the Hunt Library, you're able to sample tea, coffee, and snacks from all over the world from NC State's international student population. This event is open to the public, so everyone from NC State can come out and join. Again, this will be from 2 to 4 Wednesday afternoon. And once you get your passport renewed and have a free cup of coffee, you could head on down to Park Shops Room 201 for an event called A Communion of Shadows, Religion and Photography in the 19th Century America. This will be a lecture given by Rachel McBride Lindsay. She is currently a postdoctoral research fellow in the John C. Danfurt Center on Religion and Politics at Washington University in St. Louis. Just to provide a little bit more about this lecturer... She has received a Ph.D. in religion from Princeton University in 2012. Her research and teachings focus on material and visual cultures in American history, particularly the role of material artifacts in the practices of representation. Her current book project is entitled A Communion of Shadows, Religion and Photography in the 19th Century America, and explores how Americans adapt it and contribute it to the new visual technologies of the 19th century in ways that redefined devotional practices, visual habits, and vocabularies of religion, race, and nation. She taught at the Florida State University before coming to Washington University in St. Louis. She has served two years as an associate director of the center. This lecture, occurring from 4.30 to 6 p.m. Wednesday afternoon in Park Shops Room 201, will be open to the public. So now turning our attention to Thursday, November 19th, there will be a World Philosophy Day lecture. This lecture will be given by Kenneth A. Taylor, who is a professor of philosophy at Stanford University and co-host of the nationally syndicated radio show Philosophy Talk. He will give a lecture entitled Religion and Gay Marriage, Why Democracy is Good for Religion, Even if Religion is Bad for Democracy. Again, this World Philosophy Day lecture will be given November 19th from 3 to 4.30 that afternoon in Witherspoon Student Center, room 126. That Thursday evening will be a global issues seminar from 7 to 8.30 p.m. in Withers Auditorium, Lecture Hall 232A. 
The Global Issue Seminars, co-sponsored by the Office of International Affairs and the University Sustainability Office, features panels of NC State experts tackling global issues that are relevant to North Carolina, the nation, and the world. The fall 2015 semester topics focus on this theme of global sustainability. These seminars will showcase that NC State is contributing in terms of teaching, research, extension, and engagement into each of these internationally pressing issues. So this week's Global Issues Seminar is called The Energy We Consume. To provide a little bit more about this lecture... In 2012, global energy supply consisted of 81.3% fossil fuels, that is oil, coal, and gas, and 9.7% nuclear power and only 9% renewable energy sources. Energy provides mobility, heat, and light. It is the fuel that drives the global economy. Energy is also a major factor for development and is needed for transport, industrial activities, food production, and water distribution. The appetite for oil, natural gas, and other energy sources is growing dramatically with worldwide consumption projected to increase more than 40% by 2035. However, the production and the use of coal, oil, and gas cause air pollution and climate change, harming public health and the environment. NC State professors explored challenges related to rising energy consumption as well as opportunities regarding the increased use of renewable energy sources. Panelists will consist of this seminar's panelists will include Dr. Joseph DeCarlos, Dr. Veronica Augustin, and Miss Lisa Marshall. Again, this event will be November 19th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. in Withers Auditorium, Lecture Hall 232A. This Saturday is the annual Crafts Fair. The NC State University Crafts Center presents its 31st annual Crafts Fair, featuring work by the Craft Center's own artists and craft people, pottery, wood, glass, jewelry, fiber arts, and more. Meet the craftspeople and enjoy complimentary refreshments while shopping for unique items for yourself or those special people on your holiday gift list. Admission into this crafts fair is $1 per person, $2 per family, and it is free to NCSU students with ID. Again, this will be held in the Crafts Center from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. This Saturday also marks Family Volunteer Day. Join Activate Good on Saturday, November 21st to unite with families from around the Triangle in celebration of Family Volunteer Day, a day of service that celebrates the power of families who volunteer together while supporting their neighborhoods and local communities. Family-friendly volunteer projects will take place at various locations, including gardening at the Alliance Medical Ministry and crafts for the cause at Marbles Kids Museum where families can work together on projects like making scarves for the homeless and paracord bracelets for the troops. You may learn more and sign up at activategood.org slash FVD2015. The Family Volunteer Day will be occurring from 9 to 3 on Saturday at the Alliance Medical Ministry and the Marbles Kid Museum. So looking on into early next week will be the Native American Heritage Month film on Monday, November 23rd from 6 to 8 p.m. in the Sass Hall, room 1216. You can join them in partnership with the GLBT Center for a viewing of Two-Spirit, a film which focuses on gender identity and sexuality in Native communities. A talking circle and discussion will follow. This film screening is open to the public. So if you heard anything you liked, disliked, or had a question about, you could send it to Public Affairs at WKNC.org. And if you also had any events that you would like to be broadcasted on WKNC, you could do the same. And with that concludes this week's community calendar. I'm Peter Swazeni, wishing you all a great week ahead. 
Are you interested in advertising on WKNC? We offer both on-air and online announcements to help get the word out about your product or service. When you advertise with WKNC, you're reaching a targeted audience in an uncluttered environment, as well as supporting college radio and local music. Contact sales at WKNC.org for more information about our on-air or online advertising packages. Programming on 88.1 WKNC is supported by the Ritz Rally in Live Nation. Presenting Brooklyn-based instrumental rocktronica duo Ratatat at the Ritz on Tuesday, January 19th. Tickets for Ratatat at the Ritz are on sale now at LiveNation.com. More information about this and other upcoming Ritz shows is at RitzRally.com. WKNC would like to thank Ritz Raleigh and Live Nation for their continued support. The NC State Chapter of Engineers Without Borders is dedicated to improving lives through the creation and implementation of sustainable projects to address the needs of disadvantaged peoples. You can support developing communities, hone practical skills, expand your resume, and make new friends. You do not have to be an engineer to join. Current projects include water sanitation in Bolivia and renewable energy and water systems in Sierra Leone. For more information, go to ewbncsu.org. This has been a public service announcement of WKNC 88.1. The Revolution. Good evening. It's 4.30 and you're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC FM Raleigh. Up next in the Poetry Corner, Nikita Chandalupani brings us the first of a two-part series with author, translator, and poet John Balaban. He reads two poems and discusses his career and his poetry. So today on Poetry Corner, we have the poet John Balaban here with us today. John Balaban is the author of 12 books of poetry and prose, including four volumes, which together have won the Academy of American Poets Lamont Prize, a National Poetry Series selection, and two nominations for the National Book Award. His new book, Locus at the Edge of Summer, won the 1998 William Carlos Williams Award from the Poetry Society of America. His latest books of poetry are Path, Crooked Path, and Like Family. In addition to writing poetry, fiction, and nonfiction, he is a translator of Vietnamese poetry, and he also founded the Vietnamese Non-Preservation Foundation. Balaban currently teaches at NC State, and he's here today to read a few of his poems. Mr. Balaban, thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you. Would you like to go ahead and read your first poem? You know, given the, the events in Paris just this last few days, uh, I have friends in Paris, one of them a poet, a Bulgarian poet. The poem is set there. It's called Georgi Borisov in Paris. The Slavic poet sips his morning vodka. His mind is troubled as the river sliding down below the 22nd floor of his apartment on the Seine, where a barge cuts the surface to thread Pont Mirabeau. He knows that words are falling from books, fading from books, from poems of Pushkin, from Apollinaire's, From poems he wrote when talking in his dreams, words are disappearing, leaving pages bare. Next door, an office complex bustles like a hive, its workers tending cells inside the glassed-in combs. He stares into their cubicles. It sours his vodka. Their tower has become a heap of drying bones. But what can poets do 
about the missing words, gone even from the lips that longed to save them, like wishes floating off above the river, like coins tossed from barges, bridges, batomouche. Where else is this happening? Is it happening at home? In a world reduced to billboards, he would be totally unnerved. The strangely exiled poet has been drinking for ten days, but this has only sharpened his worry about the words. That was beautiful. Thank you. The other poem, moving around the world again, and uh, this is there was this uh, magnificent Arab uh, observer, Ibn Fadlan, who in the uh, 10th century traveled at the urging of the caliph into northern climates, seeing western people for the first time. He saw this troop of, or a tribe of uh, Vikings camped on the uh, the Volga River, and he uh, he was horrified by them because of their barbaric behavior. And so the poem actually quotes some of his words from his journal. The Rus, as they are called, camped above the river trading furs from a log hall, axed out by slaves. The men, tall as date palms, blonde, tattooed, had set a pole out, out front, carved with gods, to which they offer things to bless their trade. This was all I saw of their piety of conscience. Caliph, they are the dirtiest creatures of God. Each morning when the men stir out of sleep, a slave girl brings a bronze ablution bowl, first to the chief, who washes his face, then rinses his mouth, spits and blows his nose into the bowl, which he carries around until each has washed in the same filthy water. When their lord died, a huge Jahira Dakhwa, the witch who rules the slave girls, sent them wailing as they packed his corpse into black earth and his men built a death ship with a funeral pyre. They call this witch Angel of Death, Malak Amwat. She picked a girl to go with the dead lord, then invited the men to fornicate with the slave girl, drugged and lost in a crazy song. Then the girl was led to the ship, where the lord, his corpse now washed, lay on the pyre wreathed in flowers and fruit. Then the woman stabbed the girl in her ribs as a man crept behind her with a knotted rope, strangling her cries until she fell dead and they laid her on the pyre. Torching the ship, knocking away its blocks, they shoved it blazing into the river, singing their lord to a life of pleasures they imagine. Soon his ship was ashes swirling on the currents. O Caliph, through forested lands, west and north, one finds only infidels with vile habits. Some are Christian. Nothing will come of them. That's incredible. It's incredible because very little of it's made up by me. Yeah, it's amazing. So where do you get the inspiration to write these poems? I was in graduate school, I think, reading... They had the journal of Ibn Fadlan, and uh, it was just so poetic and so beautiful and so detailed, so uh, so ethnically detailed and observant. And, of course, he was writing, ironically for us, given current times, from a kind of superior religious and moral perspective at people who were um, enslavers and killers, etc., 
you writing this more at a inevitable end when it chooses you rather than the other way around? Or is there something that's I don't know. It's a fair question, but it's almost unanswerable because I don't think anybody really knows. You just start doing it, and then someone someone tells you it's poetry. I mean, when you start, you're so young, you probably don't even know what it is you're doing. Uh, so for me, it was probably the results of hanging around my older sisters when they were washing dishes in the kitchen and singing you know, show tunes. And uh, I liked the music. I picked up the melody. I understood the rhythm. And I would, uh, I was just a little kid, I'd start writing my own versions. God, I don't know, maybe nine or something like that. No, fortunately they're gone. I don't want to see them if if anybody does have them either. It makes you blush. But, you know, I was just uh, visiting friends in Washington, D.C., and they, they one of their grandchildren was visiting with them, and she's uh, more a native speaker of French than English because she's grown up in Paris. And uh, she had read I, uh, one of my books of poetry, which I wondered about, you know, given the violence, like in that last poem, because uh, she was only eight or nine herself. And... She knew it was there. I mean, somehow she had an ear for it. So my guess is, and then they showed me some of her poetry uh, later, not when she was there, so as not to embarrass her. And she has an ear for poetry. It was in French. The best stuff, of course, was in her native language, in French. Ian, didn't you think John Balaban's poem for Paris was beautiful? I did. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, so he has this great line where he mentions the Beto Mouche on the Seine. And those are really cool. Those are actually the tourist boats. So they're long and flat and you're gl- gliding through the city. Although I never rode one. I was not a tourist. I was a traveler. Very condescending. I, I would have liked to, uh, to ride one. And that sounds very nice. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, that second uh, poem sure sure had a mood to it. Um, and following that, uh, I'll say, on the 14th of November at approximately 1.40 a.m., uh, the NC State University Police Department received notification uh, regarding an off-campus sexual assault, which occurred at 3,916 Greenleaf Street two blocks west of the McKimmon Center off of Gorman at approximately 11.56 p.m. on the 13th a female student reported to Raleigh police that an unidentified male uh, a black male over six feet in height and wearing a ski max emerged from the bushes outside the residence and assaulted her as she exited the listed residence the suspect fled the area on foot east towards Gorman Street it is unknown if a weapon was used. So just as a reminder, be an active bystander. Don't just stand there. Do something and stand up. And I have another question for you. What, what true story is They Live, the film that Jake reviewed? What's that based on? Um, that's actually based on, on real life. You may not Are know this, sure? but uh, aliens live among us. Even now. 
We'd like to thank Peter Suzani, Jake Winters, Saif Hassan, Nick Weaver, Nikita Chandalupani, and John Balaban for the, contributing this week. As always, if you've heard anything you've liked, you've hated, or anything that made you think, let us know and tweet us at WKNC underscore EOT, where you can also catch up on more local news. Also, be, ch- be sure to check out our blog at blog.wknc.org, where you can also download our podcast. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Ian Grice. And I'm Mirtha Donastorg.